0: Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. He
1: declared this as if God was speaking through him. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God.
0: Looking back through the pages of history, there are many notable and great characters. It was author and historian H.G. Wells who said that the test of an individual's greatness is what did they leave to grow? Consider, if you will, the person of Jesus Christ. Just a notable character, or does he warrant the title most often used to describe him, that being Lord? To find out, let's join Dr. Corbett now as he begins a new series titled The Lordship of Christ. All
1: right, let's pray. Father, now as we come before you in worship, our worship is to give heed to your word. I pray, Lord, that we would hear your voice. And that, Father, you would do something particularly weird in the hearts of people right now. That, Father, the questions they have, the things that they've been pondering and wondering about, the dreams they've been having in the night, would somehow coalesce right now as you speak to them. Father, I pray that you would use me as your vessel, your instrument, to speak your word so that people might hear your voice. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be dealing with what I consider to be one of, if not the, central issues of Christianity. And this this issue is the the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So to do that, I'm going to introduce this to you. And it's my hope that by the time we're done you even if you have known the lord for some time that you would know something else you didn't know or know about what you've always believed in a fresh way it's also my hope that for those who have never encountered jesus that this will get you thinking so you may be surprised to hear me he say that this will get you thinking because sometimes people have the idea that they come to church and they're not expected to think. I'm mindful of Paul's words to Timothy, I think it's in 2 Timothy 2 verse 7 where he says, Think on these things and the Lord will give you understanding. So God, I think, invites us to think about these things. I start with this question or this statement, the single most common title given to god almighty not a god the god god almighty is this expression the lord the lord is a word in hebrew that has no vowels in it or well, at least it has no vowels written in it it has vowel sounds that sounds very similar to yahweh and so you'll hear people refer to that name of God as Yahweh and essentially it means the God who always is, always was and always will be, the great I am. The prophet Isaiah was an amazing man with an amazing relationship with this Lord, this God. He declared this as if God was speaking through him, I am the Lord and there is no other Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. This is quite an amazing statement. We talk about, in culture, we talk about what religion are you, as if all religions are take your pick. It doesn't matter. Pick one. Here, the God of the Bible says, I'm the only one. And it's not about being religious. It's not about whether you... A vote for him or not he is rather emphatic that there is no other option there is no other god he even says i'm already at work in your life i equip you and even though you do not know me the prophet isaiah goes on the next verse speaking on behalf of god the people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me I am the Lord, and there is no other. So we need to be really, really clear. The God of Islam, known as Allah, which means the moon God, is not the God of the Bible. It is not this God. The God of Islam is a completely different concept to this God that's speaking through Isaiah, who later on, would speak through and directly through Jesus Christ. The God of Hindus, if there is such a thing, Krishna perhaps, or is not this God. It's a completely different God. We should not be fooled into thinking that the God of Islam is the same God as the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible declares himself to be Father and an eternal father and in islam it says if you believe that it's the unforgivable sin of shirk and you will be condemned to hell for eternity for believing it can you see how they're not the two the two gods of god of islam and the god of christianity cannot be the same god when foundationally the bible says i'm the eternal father I am a God of love who has always loved and to always love another being means there has always been another being to love. And so this God, the God who is known as the eternal father, there is only pretty much one thing you need to be an eternal father. That means always being a father is an eternal son. And that's the claim that the Bible makes that Jesus Christ is that being. And that's how God can say, I have always loved. I am love. And John the Apostle in 1 John chapter 4 says, God is love. This is not to be confused with the way some people present what love is. If God is love, they say, then love is God. And that's not true. God is love. This makes Christianity, the God of the Bible, completely different. In fact, it makes who Jesus Christ was, as Mike said, over communion, completely different to all other religious claims. It makes the God of Jehovah's Witnesses completely different to the God of the Bible. Because if God is the eternal Father with an eternal Son not created but has always been then Jehovah's Witnesses is one of the greatest shams and lies in the last two centuries because they deny that. This man was not a Christian. He was someone who wrote a great many books including uh, Time, The Time Machine um, and others. This is H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells Said this, more than 1900 years later, that is after Christ, after Jesus Christ, said H.G. Wells, a historian like myself, who doesn't even call himself a Christian, finds the picture centering irresistibly. This is the picture of history itself, centering irresistibly around the life and character of the most significant man in history. The historian's test of an individual's greatness is what did he leave to grow? He goes on to say, Did he start men to thinking along fresh lines with a vigour that persisted after him? By this test, if that be the test, H.G. Wells says, Jesus stands first. And then he says, the impact of Jesus Christ on the world is that which can be gauged in maritime language. You can gauge the size of a ship that has passed out of sight by the huge wake it leaves behind. This is recorded in Philip Yancey's book, which I'll refer a couple of times to this morning, The Jesus I Never Knew. And that's significant because Philip Yancey grew up in a church where He heard about Jesus. He heard people talk about Jesus. They sang songs to Jesus like we sang songs to Jesus this morning, and yet there came a point when he realised he did not know Jesus. He was religious, but he wasn't a Christian, and Philip Yancey talks about this in his books. So who was Jesus? Who was Jesus the Christ? And I use Jesus the Christ because that's how the angel... In announcing to Joseph and Mary, as we will celebrate in a few weeks, the Christmas story, that's how he's described. He's described as Jesus the Christ. We read in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus asked his disciples this question. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, which is the northernmost border of Israel, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Which is a common expression that Jesus used describing himself. That expression, the Son of Man, by the way, is a term used to describe the person I just referred to, the eternal Son of God, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. So Jesus asked this question of his disciples. They gave some wild speculation about who they thought he might be and who the crowds thought he might be, who the crowds then thought he might be. Some said Elijah, some said Jeremiah, some said others. But what what would happen if we asked that question today? Who would people say today who Jesus was? They might say he was a great teacher. He was a philosopher. He was someone who did good. They They might even say he was misunderstood. I've heard some pretty wild stuff about why Jesus was executed because he spoke up against religious authority. Therefore, he was executed. And none of those reasons are true. The data does not say this at all it wasn't that he was misunderstood that he was executed he was asked a question about his claim to be the eternal son of god and he said he was and the high priest clearly clearly understood him and for that the high priest in what was the custom of the day tore his robe as if he's heard something disgusting and understanding what jesus said he said he deserves to die for blasphemy there was no no misunderstanding what Jesus was saying but who was he who was he of all the answers people might give probably the least answer they would give is that Jesus Christ is Lord Lord the supreme ruler of the universe this is probably not surprising Because for most people, in fact, I would say for all people, every one of us sitting here right now has a Lord. In fact, every one of us outside of this building has a Lord. In fact, I would say everyone has a Lord. Everyone has a Lord. And that Lord is the Lord whom they worship, whom they honour, they obey and they love. Who is that? In 1888, one year before Invermay Primary School opened, I noticed, a man by the name of William Ernest Henley wrote a poem called Invictus. You may be familiar with it. And this sums up this statement that I've just made. Everyone has a Lord, which is to say everyone has a God. Even people who claim not to be religious are often very religious about how they are not religious. William Ernest Henley's poem Invictus says this, Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole. In other words, life can be confusing. I thank whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance my head is bloody but unbowed he's saying no matter what circumstances come my way and no matter how bad and ugly they are i refuse to cry out to god i will bow to no one he's saying beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me un afraid i don't care if this god of the universe is trying to reach me i defy him it matters not how straight the gate how charged with punishments the scroll i am master of my fate i am the captain of my soul written in 1888 you might as well have thought it was written in 2023 no one's going to tell me what to do, especially your God, you Christians. Many people would rather do life without having the Christ who H.G. Wells said is the most significant person who has ever walked the planet. They would rather do life without having Christ as their Lord. Why? Why? Because as William Ernst Henley said, it means you have to bow to him. You have to acknowledge him. You have to surrender to him. And this is something that the average Australian finds really difficult to do. No one's going to tell me what to do. Coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ, you may call yourself a Christian, but if you have never surrendered and submitted to him, Jesus' words to you are, I never knew you. Pretty strong words, as we'll see coming out of the mouth of Jesus in a moment. So let me tell you what your options are. If you want to choose a Lord for your life, you can choose any Lord, but probably you'll want to make sure that these four requirements are ticked. Firstly, whoever you choose as Lord must be powerful enough to warrant your surrender. Secondly, they must care deeply for you. They must put you first. You are number one, of course. They must put you first. Thirdly, you probably want whoever you're going to surrender to and to call your God to know something. So they must be knowledgeable. They must know something. And then fourthly, they are probably going to need some help to help you, so they must have an extensive network, a very extensive network. You know, the most popular God, the most popular Lord who fits these four requirements for most people is themselves, the worship of self. I've mentioned previously that C.S. Lewis was at a conference. In Wales, and he was, or actually, it was a working man's conference. I think it was called, and he was there to answer the the question, "What is Christianity all about?" This is during the Second World War, when people were asking these kinds of questions. And then he had a Q and A session, and a part of the Q and A session was, "What religion makes a person the happiest?" I wonder if the person asked the question thinking C.S. Lewis would take advantage of this opportunity to say, Well, you should become a Christian because that'll make you the happiest. But he didn't. He said, if you want to be, if you want a religion that will make you the happiest, I do not suggest to you Christianity. There will be times when you do not want to obey Christ. There will be times when you don't want to live the kind of things that Christ said you should do toward others. In fact, you want the religion that's going to make you happiest is the religion of self. Because you know what makes you happy and you can make yourself your own God and do it and that will make you happiest. Which might confuse people because most people, when, if you ever tell them, I've become a Christian and they'll go, well, whatever makes you happy. I've heard people tell me that, well, whatever makes you happy. I did not become a Christian to be happy. As it turns out, it's working. Thank you, Kim. I I am probably one of the happiest people on the planet, despite what Kim says. But that's not why I became a Christian. I became a Christian because I realised of those four things... I can't tick any of them. I don't meet the requirements for being my own God. And this dawned on me at the age of 15. Let me tell you why Jesus Christ is the only one who qualifies in all four boxes to be ticked. He is not just powerful, he's the most powerful. He actually said he has all power. Wowzers. By the way, all of these claims that Jesus made can be put to the test. Jesus claimed that he was the most loving being in the universe. I don't come close to any of that. Thirdly, he claimed that he knew everything. In John's Gospel, John tells us over and over and over, Jesus knew everything. Jesus did not need anyone to tell him anything, for he knew what was in the hearts of people. He can read your mind right now. Not even a demon can do that. But Jesus can. And fourthly, originally I wrote he has a global network of servants, thinking Christians, who would gladly, willingly offer themselves to be his servants, as I have. I am a servant of Jesus Christ, and gladly so. But then I realised his network goes beyond this realm, this world of Christians and encompasses angelic servants as well. And there is a lot we could say about angelic visitations even to my bewilderment. The D-Day landing in Normandy where hundreds of soldiers came back and testified to seeing angels in the sky helping them. And I read that and I I my head boggles people have encounters with angelic powers and if you read the book of acts you definitely read that there were angels who materialized and could open prison doors literally absolutely amazing the most important thing though that qualifies jesus christ is not just the fulfillment of those four things is this this claim Jesus Christ qualifies as your Lord because he is you will never hear me say make Jesus Christ your Lord because I have come to realize he already is the issue is not whether he is the issue is whether you will surrender to him as your Lord that's the issue in writing what Paul may have thought was his last letter to his protege, Timothy, notice how he finishes up. He brings to Timothy the news that he was imprisoned in Rome. He was perhaps weeks away from his own execution where he says to the Philippians, I know my time is up. And now he's writing to Timothy about the same time and he tells his young protégé, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, not just people, all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate, the then most powerful person in Israel at that time, who stood in judgment over Jesus, And the irony of the situation is if Pontius Pilate actually knew whom he was judging, he would realise he was his judge, not Pontius Pilate, his judge. So he held a testimony, that is, he stood true before Pontius Pilate and he made a good confession. He never surrendered his right to the claims that he made about himself being the eternal Son of God and being the Lord of the universe. Paul goes on and tells Timothy, he charges him, I charge you to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, The King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's our Jesus. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Who alone has immortality, Paul writes. Who dwells in unapproachable light. Whom no one has ever seen nor can see. To him be honour and eternal dominion. Amen. So, how great was Jesus? The measure of someone's greatness is when they don't use all of their power because it's going to benefit someone by not doing it. I love this story. You, you've, forgive me if you've heard me tell this 100 times. Let me tell it 101th time. In 1936, I think it was, in Detroit, Michigan, there was a, young, a bunch of young boys who got on a, on a bus, a public bus. This is back in the days, believe it or not, when... Black Americans were not allowed to sit anywhere else but the back row, the back seat of a bus. And these young boys got on the bus and they went right down to the second last row in this bus. And there was a black man sitting there and they thought they would poke fun at him. He wasn't allowed to sit up anywhere closer to the front in that bus. they began to mock him and ridicule him and throw insults at him. And he just sat there didn't say anything, didn't do anything, didn't flinch. And they just kept piling on the insults, teasing him, threatening him. And then the bus stopped and this man got up and suddenly they realised he was just a little bit bigger than they realised. He walked get off the bus and this was actually their stop as well and they realized not just was he a little bit bigger he was a little bit broader than they realized they got off the bus still a little bit sheepishly hurling their further insults at him and as they all got off the bus this man turned around came up to the ringleader put out a card from his pocket and gave it to him didn't say anything And then just walked off. The card read, Joe Lewis, World Heavyweight Boxing Champion. Those boys had an encounter with someone who was great. He was one of the few undefeated World Heavyweight Boxing Champions in boxing history. Philip Yancey says this about the greatness of Christ. Jesus never met a disease he could not cure a birth defect he could not reverse, a demon he could not exorcise, but he did meet sceptics he could not convince and sinners he could not convert. Forgiveness of sins requires an act of a will on the receiver's part and some who heard Jesus' strongest words... About grace and forgiveness, turned away unrepentant without accepting what Jesus had to say. And I've heard people say, I can't, I'm not going to believe in God. I'll believe in God if He comes down and He stands right in front of me, then I will, without realizing they are doing exactly what the boys on the bus did. Because the moment you tell God what the terms are, what the conditions are, what you want, what he has to do for you, which one in this equation is the Lord? Because it's not surrender to God. C.S. Lewis, who tried and tried and tried to persuade people through the Second World War and beyond, that they should see Jesus in a way that he has their highest good in mind And he was so frustrated, he read the passage in Matthew chapter 7, which I'll read in a moment. And C.S. Lewis summed up this passage by saying, this is your destiny, it's either these two choices, and he often did this, you've got two choices, not more than two, two choices. You will either say to him, that is Jesus, thy will be done. In other words, here I am, I surrender, or if you don't, if you refuse. I'm paraphrasing what C.S. Lewis said. He will say to you, thy will be done. You reject me and now you stand before me in judgment after this life and you have not invited me to be Lord of your life. You will not bow your knee to me and say, here I am, Lord, thy will be done. Have your way in my life. You won't do that. Then I will say to you in the day of judgment, thy will be done. And you will spend the rest of your days in a Christless eternity. Everything that Christ is, love, joy, infinite peace will be denied you for eternity. And you think, Jesus would never have said that. C. S. Lewis was simply retelling these few verses in Matthew chapter seven. Where Jesus, this is coming out of the mouth of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. My kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And what is the will of my Father in heaven, Jesus was saying? To surrender. To surrender your life, to hand over your sin, guilt and shame and lay it at my feet as I take it from you by dying on the cross for what it deserves and offering you forgiveness. But it means you surrendered to me. On that day, Jesus said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus gives you the two options in this, in this statement that Matthew records in Matthew chapter 7. And so here's the option that I want you to accept. Jesus Christ is the only one qualified to be your God and your Lord. As a church, he's the only one that we should heed ultimately and unconditionally. There should not be any negotiated deals. Well, God, you want me to do this? Well, if I do this, then you do this for me. No, 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 no. We, we have no bargaining power. <laughs> we must surrender to him. We must not put anything between us and him. Not a hurt, not an offence, not something that someone has said, not something that someone has done to us. We should put anything in between our relationship with him. We should surrender to him. And he said some pretty strong things about what you should do if someone offends you or hurts you. So how do you accept Jesus Christ? Paul, who had such an encounter with Christ, who saw the physically resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, he later wrote this, When he's writing to the Romans, a very religious people, but he said it's not good enough. You need Jesus Christ. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. You need faith. You might think, well, I don't know if I have faith. Can I tell you, even the faith that Paul is talking about here is a gift that you can ask Jesus for. Because if you confess with your mouth, That Jesus is, what's that word? Lord. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.9 You will be saved from a Christless eternity. You will be saved from an eternal hell of torment. You will be saved from something that you would never be able to escape from after this life, if you surrender your life to Christ. Many people display their God. You can tell it. You can tell it. it's their source of pride. It's the very thing that gives them identity. I, I hope that if you spend any time with me at all, even outside of church, you'd realise, this guy actually... Believes what he's saying. This guy is actually a Christian. He believes it. And I hope that's what people say about you too. Why? Because Jesus is my source of pride. Not my pride. My source of pride in him. I'm proud of him. The word is, he is my boast. I boast about him. That's my pride right there. Jesus is my source of identity because the moment I give my life to him, my identity is not any particular colour of a rainbow or anything like that. My identity is now I belong to him. I am his servant. I heard Winky Prattney say when I was about 15 years of age, I heard him say this, the highest thing any man could have on his tombstone would be these words, here lies a man of God. And I thought, that's my identity. From the age of 15, I thought, that's the identity I want for my life. What's your identity? What's your boast? What's your pride? What is it? Because the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 29, he said this, But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he knows me. This is God speaking through Jeremiah. It's God speaking through this man, Jeremiah, that he knows me and that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. And this is the deal. You become like that which you worship. If you, and worship means surrender, an expression of surrender. You become like the one you worship or what you worship. If you worship your sexuality, you will worship your sexuality. If you worship your car, you will wear Ford, Holden, Fiat, (laughs) Mini. (laughs) Oh, good grief. I was trying to go with blokey cars. And... Everyone will know that's your identity, your badge, your source of pride. But if you are a man or a woman of God, here's your boast. That you know him. And that you know him. He who understands me. Practices. Love. Being fair, just. If you'd
0: like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select The Lordship of Christ Part 1 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, Jesus Christ qualifies for the title of Lord because He is the most powerful. He is the most loving. He is all-knowing and he has a universal network of servants. More from Dr. Corbett next week on the Lordship of Christ. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.